the football pod. Conor Moore said that in punditry today, that colour, wit and enthusiasm is missing. Tune into the football pod. <laughs> Paddy Anderson and James Dunne will bring it for you. Subscribe to the football pod wherever you get your podcasts. Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. It is Thursday's football show. Nathan with you this evening. We're going to talk to Shabana Hearn a little bit later in the hour ahead of a huge weekend in the WSL as Chelsea look to complete the double. Uh, we are going to chat to Philippe Claire in just a moment, but just to let you know that it is still Newcastle United 2 Brighton won in the Premier League. Newcastle were 2 0 up at half time. An own goal from Dennis Undav heading in a Kieran Trippier corner and Trippier provider again just before the break. Free kick from deep headed in by Dan Byrne. But Dennis Undav equalised six minutes after half time and Brighton have brought on the big guns the biggest gun of all Evan Ferguson is on for the final half an hour of that game so Brighton still trailing by two goals to one and there's what 18 minutes left so if it stays like that Newcastle all but assured of a place in the Champions League next season of course uh, West Ham are in European action tonight still scoreless in their game against Azad Alkmaar that's a European Europa Conference League semi-final second leg uh, West Ham 2-1 up on aggregate uh, low scoring night in Europe so far. Fiorentina 1-0 up away at Basel, 2-2 on aggregate and no goals in either of the Europa League semi-finals. Scoreless between Bayer Leverkusen and Roma. So Jose Mourinho's side 1-0 up on aggregate and it's one all on aggregate between Sevilla and Juventus that one also scoreless on the night in Spain. A reminder, two live games for you on Sundays off the ball two massive matches. West Ham against Leeds at half past one. Richie McCormick and Kenny Cunningham will talk you through that one and depending on results elsewhere, Leeds may well need something from that to stay in the Premier League for next season and then at 4 o'clock slightly earlier time for the kickoffs uh, this weekend it is Manchester City against Chelsea if City win that game they will be the Premier League champions for the third year in a row Philippe Clare, good evening good evening to you it is that wonderful time of the year when the trophies are handed out when Coventry get to play Luton in a playoff hey. final when football is it's just at its ro- most <laughs> romantic so where will we start tonight will we start on Saudi Arabia's attempts to get the 2030 World <laughs> Cup finals the 115 charges against Manchester City as they dominate English football and European mm-hmm. football or, or maybe Ivan Tony's eight-month suspension for betting irregularities. Where do yes. you fancy starting with all this? Uh, well, this is kind <laughs> of a horror, horror bingo, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Whichever, whichever order you want to I'm interested in uh, the, your thoughts on Ivan Tony's suspension uh, because you have spoken a lot on this show before about mm-hmm. uh, football's relationship with gambling in so many ways and just the fact that it's so front and centre on every broadcast and obviously hands up this show has been sponsored by a betting company as well uh, on numerous occasions mm-hmm. through the years uh, but that's football and then there's the more complicated parts of different Chinese firms and their links uh, with English Premier League mm-hmm. clubs but Ivan Tony, uh, obviously in England International having an incredible season the 27 year old 20 Premier League goals this year suspended until January 2024 and fined £50,000 by an independent panel after he admitted to 232 breaches of FA betting rules uh, this is and Ivan Tony who plays his club football in a shirt for Brentford that is sponsored by a betting company in a stadium that is surrounded everywhere you look by ads for betting companies who made his name by scoring lots of goals in the Sky Bet Championship. Uh, the <laughs> hypocrisy around this 
is pretty obvious, particularly yeah. considering it seems that Tony did not bet on any games that he was involved in. Uh, if you had bet, if you had bet on any game he was involved in, or if you had bet on anything, um, any kind of uh, action, anything happening during a game in which he was involved, you wouldn't have got eight months. He would have got eight years, or he would have been banned for life. So it's pretty obvious to me that we're talking about a player uh, who, like many other footballers in the past and unfortunately in the present, perhaps has a little bit of a betting problem, <clears throat> mm. and uh, who perhaps should be. Um, receiving education, uh, receiving uh, care as well uh, to help him out of that uh, because he obviously lost a lot of money like everybody who bets uh, on this kind of thing. Uh, he hasn't damaged the integrity of the game. What he has done is that he's done something he shouldn't have done because he was fully aware that professional players are not supposed to engage in any form of gambling or betting. Uh, that he knew, but the punishment, eight months, is um, very severe. Um, and I have to say that this punishment, we should also remember that he missed out on a place at the uh, World Cup, probably because of the because he was charged. So he's already paid a hefty price. Um, the fine is, in many ways, completely immaterial. But the fact that he cannot play until January 2024, when also you're talking about a player who only discovered the Premier League when he was 25 years of age. Um, I mean, it seems totally incompetent incommensurate with what he did and especially when it's put in, in parallel with the way that English football feeds off betting and gambling uh, you forgot one thing about Brentford you forgot about the owner mm. Matthew Benham uh, owner of uh, Smart Odds guess what Smart Odds is involved in uh, so um, yeah it seems uh, I mean, it's totally hypocritical I think actually one thing that I was quite surprised by is uh, and pleasantly surprised by is if I can gauge by the reaction on social media, but also in the media full stop, is that almost everybody agrees that the punishment is really severe. And also that it um, it is marked with the seal of hypocrisy. Um, the FA, uh, which dished out this punishment through an independent panel, um, we shouldn't forget that they are imposing a betting sponsor on amateur football in England. Pitching in, which is the official sponsor, of the Isthmian League, Trident League, and so forth, is actually an initiative by the Antain Group, which is Ladbrokes, Coral, Sporting Bet, and everything. And semi-pros and amateur players have got to wear, um, you know, on their shirts, the name of something which is totally linked with betting, which is, in fact, a, a betting initiative. So there, there is so much hypocrisy. I mean, uh, when you look at the, the, the white paper, which was... Um, released not that long ago by the government. We were expecting something perhaps a little bit stronger. In fact, what we got was totally watered down. And uh, I wouldn't say that it was um, uh, saying to the betting industry, well, carry on, just do a few cosmetic things here and there, and, and you can carry on. Um, those, I mean, all the the relationship between the English football and, and gambling is osmotic, I suppose, I think is the, the adjective. It's also toxic. And in a way, it's much easier to make a scapegoat out of somebody like Ivan, Ivan Tony, um, who did wrong, but who need help, and rather than to address the real problems. And um, to be honest, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm like most people. I'm, I think it is a, a mark of hypocrisy, something actually that English football should be ashamed of. And um, 
it seems to be the way that most people have reacted to the news. So maybe that mm. will be, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really sorry for, for Tony, I have to say. He should be punished. Everybody agrees on that. Nobody's saying that what he did was right. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that the punishment should be uh, commensurate to the offence and that many other offences, it's much more serious offences, are completely forgotten about and that the core of the problem, which is the relationship that English football, professional football, has with gambling is still not being addressed either by the clubs, the Premier League, the FA or the government. And I think you're dead right that everyone would agree if even Tony had been betting on games that he was involved in, you would want the harshest possible penalty. But this is a very different scenario and it does feel as though this must be the tip of the iceberg for English football. So here in Ireland, we have covered countless times amateur GEA players who've had problems with gambling. And in a similar scenario with footballers, it's become a very professional sport. They don't go out for a drink anymore. They don't smoke anymore. Uh, They are home after their match. They're sitting on a couch on a Sunday evening and they're sitting watching the football or the American football or the basketball and they're searching for a little bit of a buzz and they can't do anything else. And gambling is something they can do away from the spotlight, away from their family and still find something in there that gets them going. And you add that to the amount of money that's available in English football that the FA have set a precedent here that they may have to go back to many times over the coming years? Possibly. Um, he's been found out. I don't know exactly how. I mean, it's really an open secret that a number of players are still gambling heavily. There's nothing easier uh, these days. You don't even need to go to the bookie where people could recognize you. All you need is a smartphone. That's that's easy as that. You can also... Um, use friends to do it for you, which is a, a thing that some problem gamblers do um, to circumvent, you know, the uh, the restrictions which are placed on their gambling. And also, I mean, he's not, no, he's not alone in that. There are plenty of examples. Of course, we're not going to give names, but they're well known within the microcosm that there are some players who have, have a gambling problem. It's not just in England, by the way. There is another league. I'm not going to give names again, but precisely at the moment, there is this similar thing which is happening in in the top European league with one star player of a biggish club who is involved in a gambling thing, shall we say. And everybody is walking on eggshells because we know that the player in question um, is somebody who has a serious problem. You know, I we, we've all heard, you know, people like Paul Merson or Ray Parler mm. or John Hartson talk about their huge problems with their gambling addiction. I mean, who are we to think that this addiction has gone away? It it has not. It's there all of the time. So an eight-month ban for Ivan Tony uh, for mm-hmm. breaching gambling regulations. Uh, Manchester City charged with 115 uh, different <laughs> charges. So, uh, yes. When they eventually get round to this, when they eventually uh, get round to this in about, what, four years' time? Is, is there any well, sense of a timeline around this yet? Um, well, <laughs> we had the news today that, in fact, they, they had decided to fight every single of the, uh, apparently, mm. of the charges. And some of the grounds on which they're, they're fighting it are, are actually, are, they're almost funny. Like one of the uh, cases who has been uh, uh, chosen to to preside over the case um, has is an Arsenal fan. And as far as they're concerned, that's something which invalidates his judgment. Uh, okay, perhaps. Does it invalidate uh, his judgment the, uh, because he's an Arsenal fan, or <laughs> I am? 
you're asking me. Yeah. And at the same time, at the same time, they say they've got irrefutable evidence that there's no wrongdoing. But the extraordinary thing is that we've never seen this irrefutable evidence. If it exists, just put it out in the open. And I think everybody will say, well, we're terribly sorry. The evidence was indeed irrefutable. So therefore, we don't. you don't have anything to worry about. Now, I think we're, we're talking, at the beginning, there was a lot of pressure from, from a number of Premier League clubs to get this dealt with as quickly as possible. Uh, at the time, uh, when the charges were made public, some clubs actually were in favour of the, uh, the process to be sped up enough for any sanction, if any is taken, uh, to be uh, to be taken uh, during the summer, so that it would be applicable for the next season. That's totally out of the of the picture, out of the question now. According to people who are familiar with this kind of processes, we're now looking at two to four years. That's a long time. Right. A, a lot of water will have um, will have uh, flown under the the bridge um, before we actually get anywhere. And don't forget that if a decision is taken, it can still go to the Court of Appeal. And apparently Manchester City and their huge team of lawyers, um, because they've spent a lot of money on players, but they've also spent a lot of money on lawyers, are willing to take that to the Supreme Court. So it's like kicking the ball further and further and further, further afield. And who knows what the situation will be like in three, four, five years' time. Well, these charges already relate back to 2018. So if you were to add another four or five years from here, you'll be heading towards a decade, and it's a very easy separation for Manchester yeah. City to say this was a different time, even if they were to ultimately be found guilty here. And it'll be a different set of players at the club, probably a different manager by then. Yes, indeed. How does this affect how you watch a game last night, a, a performance that we've mentioned several times tonight has been described as maybe the best performance ever by an English team in European football. Can you sit back and watch Bernardo Silva's performance in the first 45 minutes and get a joy from that? Uh, joy, I don't know. I think I'm, I like many people. I'm, I'm, I'm not conflicted. I, I just um, experience it in a very strange way in as much as I'm completely... I'm able to admire what is being done and to admire the, the ferocity of the pressing in particular in midfield, to admire what Bernardo Silva, who is a player, by the way, that I've always loved when he was at Monaco. He was probably my favorite player of that of that great Monaco team. Um, and or, or, or look at the way Jack Grealish has evolved and is, is now much more efficient. Uh, admire Kevin De Bruyne, who is probably the best midfielder, I mean, uh, arguably the best midfielder we've seen you know, this century in English football. Um, you can admire all of that, um, but you can also admire in a detached way. So that I think that I, I can certainly um, look at it and, and think, my goodness, this is astonishing mastery of, of the pitch. This is astonishing mastery of space, of speed, um, but it leaves me cold because of all the rest. So it's a bit like going to a, a great restaurant and being served this absolutely amazingly beautiful food and actually thinking, wow, this is this is really something else. And actually not really enjoying it because what you're looking for is something completely different, perhaps a bit simpler, and perhaps which finds a, a, a shorter way and a simpler way to your heart and to your emotions. There's absolutely no emotion involved in crushing people time after time after time again. Uh, or, or if there is one, I, I would really, I think that people who enjoy that, I think they do have a psychological problem. 
when there is no jeopardy, your pleasure is diminished. But I think as Jonathan Wilson has talked about that compared the treble that Manchester City might well realize with that of Manchester United in 1989. And I'm not a Manchester United fan, but the 1999 treble is absolutely unique is that in that every single competition, there was jeopardy. Uh, it was not just the final in, in Barcelona uh, against Bayern Munich. It was also the game against Arsenal in the FA Cup. And in the in the league, actually, there was a real fight with Arsenal as well. We're just on the double. And so you thought, oh, the, there is danger. There is risk everywhere. And because of that, the prize, the end prize, is, belongs to the realm of, of myth, almost, of legend. In this particular case, what do we have? A club that is going to be crowned probably next weekend for the fifth time in six years, uh, playing some extraordinary football, mm. some extraordinary efficient football. I don't find it particularly beautiful, by the way, but that's that's my just my, my perception of it, but incredibly efficient football and admirable football in many ways and revolutionary football in some ways as well. But if you, we, we are now in a situation where the 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 idea that the Premier League is the most competitive league in the world is something that people should be laughing at. That's not the case. The only club which has been able to live with Manchester City, apart from Arsenal, miraculously this season, has been Liverpool. And that's this. Everybody else is left behind. Now, it might be that Newcastle United, that other paragon of virtue, <laughs> um, will actually challenge them in, in a couple of years' time. It's possible. But, you know, you can... I, I can admire somebody, but you can't force me to love him or to love them. And I think many, many people are, feel that kind of conflict. And you don't want to take away from the excellence of the players, from the quasi-genius of Pep Guardiola, but you have to say to contextualize everything uh, all of the time, which is a bit difficult. And to be honest, a bit boring because we'd like to get on with enjoying football, but it's a little bit difficult to do so at the moment. Uh, you mentioned Newcastle they've just scored to go 3-1 ah. up against Brighton at St James's Park uh, Callum Wilson has just scored a breakaway goal for Newcastle they are in the final minute of that game um, so Newcastle are going to win that game and uh, barring a very unlikely collapse are going to be playing Champions League football and mm. uh, you'd have to say very much ahead of um, their plans and targets for progressive and maybe they'll be able to get good and close to Manchester City sooner than we all think so 3-1 <laughs> there uh, I, I, that's interesting the way you talk about Manchester City and the 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 lack of love for them in lots of ways and I, I can understand you know like I said probably haven't been to the Etihad for lots of run of the mill games where it's a very emotional experience they, they're they so dominant for so long that they score the goals when they want to score them and they win 2 or 3 nil. and there's not the drama that you generally seem to get with a mm. Manchester United Liverpool Arsenal where when they go behind the entire stadium comes alive and drives them forward there's just an expectation that City will get it done but the way they've played over the last three months and the quality of the two oh. performances against Arsenal, against Liverpool, and then maybe capping it all last night by taking to pieces that Manchester City squad. We just had John Giles, who's come on here for five or six years, talking about Luka Modric as just the perfect midfielder for him. And I don't think I've mm -hmm. ever seen Modric as quiet and the shock to see him taken off yeah. after an hour of the game. Uh, 
there is there's something in that Manchester City that seems a level above anything we've seen from them before in terms of it's just sheer uh, brilliance. Uh, yeah, I, I think to to find that kind of um, aura of invisibility uh, around the team, I think you would have to go back to Pep Guardiola's Barcelona in 2008-9 and 2010-11, even though there are loads of differences between, you know, Barcelona, which is very much a, a team of homegrown talent, and, and, and Manchester City, where, in fact, it's quite the opposite. I think that there was not a single player from the academy in the starting eleven against Real Madrid, even if Phil Foden came in uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but in terms of, of the mastery, um, yes, it is absolutely phenomenal. It's got to the point that you wonder how can they be possibly beaten by anybody because it's not that they've got the solutions to everything. It's, it's also their, their physical dominance is something that astonishes me. I've rarely seen a team... And I know Real Madrid is creaking at the joints a little bit. A few players are getting on. That is true. Um, but I, I can't remember a team imposing itself physically as well as tactically and technically on another like they did at this level of the competition in the first 45 minutes uh, last night. It was absolutely awesome. And um, yes, it, it it is quite unique. I mean, you're trying to think of the big sides in the, in the near uh, past, you know, like, uh, Bayern Munich has been has been terrific, but never has exuded the same uh, aura as as this this incredible machine, this war machine that crushes everything on its path, and which has got you know astonishing resources as well. Because you know, oh, let's take Bernardo de Silva off. Here's Riyad Mahrez. <laughs> oh, let's take Jack Grealish off. Here's Phil Foden, and you can carry on like that. Um, and, and it, it it is admirable, and yes, I, I have to say it's 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 almost incomprehensible the amount of the supremacy that they've got. Because I know, and that's the thing I would add in their defence, so to speak, is that yes, they have invested colossal amounts of money, and in fact, money is no um, absolutely is not a problem for them whatsoever. Whatever they want to do, you can leave Calvin Phillips, a forty-five million uh, midfielder on the bench. That's not a problem. Uh, you can wait. You can buy Jagrish for 100 million, and wait for him to to come good. That's not a problem either. But when I look at the way that players like Nathan Ake, who hasn't been there recently but has been absolutely phenomenal, I think throughout the late winter and early spring, when you see Akanji, I wasn't expecting Akanji to to burst through like that and to become a regular starter. Uh, when you see the transformation of Grealish as well, you have to realize, well, it's not all about the money. And we, we have to say and admit that it's not all about the money, but it is also about the money. Uh, so again, we're caught in this um, in this weird situation because the more successful they are, the more this question is going to be asked. If it was a team that had showed signs of fallibility, I think we'd, we'd have more time for it. I think the one thing that we cannot quite forgive Manchester City is the fact that they're too good. And if they were a little bit worse or not as good, perhaps we would have more time for them because it would mm. be more human. Which is why, for example, when Liverpool was winning everything and Liverpool was on the edge of a of a quadruple last year, we should should remember that. It was not that long ago. I, I think most people were really enthused by that. All the neutrals were enthused by that. I think, wow, this is something exceptional, extraordinary. Bravo, well done. This time, nothing. Remember when uh, City did the treble, which is uh, FA Cup, League, and League Cup, 
and nobody talked about it. Remember how Pep Guardiola was annoyed about it, that people weren't... And he was saying, well, it's because it's normal. It's you. It's normal. If you look, in many ways, what Gary O'Neill has done with Bournemouth is is more interesting than what you've done with Manchester City. You know, I, I exaggerate... I'd like uh, I'd like you purpose. to put that to him in a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He's somebody who you know he's he's a great manager, and he, he's somebody who might say, you know what? Maybe you're right because yeah. what matters is what you do with what has been put at your disposal. Which is why he's talked about Marcelo Bielsa the way he's talked about Marcelo Bielsa, uh, because of what Bielsa has done with very limited means. And and there are others, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Silva has done a fantastic thing when he's talked about Thomas Frank, when he's talked about the Zerbi. And there are loads uh, of, of of managers and, and, and clubs, and I'm sure he would give a, a very positive um, comments about. It's just that he, he lives in a different sphere, a different world, and uh, a world in which there's only one thing, victory. And, and you're quite right when you were talking about the uh, at the Etihad Stadium. It's a very strange atmosphere there when you go there on a normal day. Um in fact, there is no atmosphere. It's very odd. It's just, you know, expectation of seeing something which is totally ordinary and totally extraordinary at the same time. That doesn't make for a good mix for, for football. Football football is much better when it is chaos. And we like chaos. And um, and we didn't certainly didn't get it last night. Oh, we got it in the Madrid defence. Yeah, we certainly did. Uh, and midfield. <laughs> Getting some of the Brighton defence at the moment. It's now Newcastle 4, Brighton 1. Oof. Bruno Grimares has scored as well in injury time. They're into eight minutes of injury time there. Callum Wilson just missed another chance to make it 5-1, but uh, Newcastle totally in control there. So Liverpool, if they are to qualify for the Champions League, will be relying on a major collapse by Manchester United over the next 10 days or so. Uh, just before we let you go, Philippe, I, I guess one of the way sports washing works is that we all get just so burnt out from talking about certain things and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we're all That's just fine. sick of talking about Qatar at this stage to start thinking about 2030 and Saudi Arabia and what that will mean. Yeah. It all feels a little bit soon, but you've been writing about this and obviously uh, for Saudi Arabia, it's not too soon to be thinking about this and the ways they're working in the backgrounds to potentially host what will be the centenary World Cup and the opposition to them is interesting. So Uruguay organizers, winners of the first ever World Cup, are in with Argentina, Paraguay and Chile, which uh, from a climate change point of view, you know, I'd say by 2030, we might all have question marks about. Uh, The other one is Spain, (laughs) Portugal, Morocco and Saudi Arabia. They're they're not going in by themselves, though. They're going in with Greece and Egypt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we are probably, what, about two years away from an announcement. What sort of politicking is going on in the background? 18 months, 18 months or thereabouts, September 2024, we should know. Uh, what's happening at the moment is that they're working in the background by uh, signing all sorts of um, cooperation agreements, memorandums of understanding, uh, with a number of national federations everywhere. They, they signed a number in, in Asia, which is their confederation. Uh, in Africa, uh, they've signed a, a memorandum of, of agreement with Croatia during the World Cup, which might surprise a few people. They've also signed a memorandum of agreement, which we... Uh, really surprised me with Ecuador, knowing that there is such a strong South American bid. Now, those memorandums don't mean that these countries are going to vote for Saudi Arabia when, when the vote happens in September 2024. It means that they, they will certainly have, they will be encouraged to do so, because what happens is that 
in as part of these agreements, uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, organizes friendlies, uh, invites teams to training camps, uh, invites officials for uh, seminars, conferences, and so forth, and puts the bill all the time. So um, obviously, you have to show your gratitude at some point. And what happened just a few days ago was quite, I mean, I was going to say cataclysmic, but yes, cataclysmic, is that Saudi Arabia signed one of those memorandums of agreement, of understanding, excuse me, with the African Confederation. The African Confederation is 54 countries, 54 votes out of 211 for the, at the FIFA Congress. And also, uh, I have got good reason to believe that Saudi Arabia is going to help prop up financially the African Super League and probably get uh, hold of the broadcasting rights for the new competition that is so dear to Jenny Infantino and the African Confederation President, Mr. Motsepe. So it looks very much like um, they're doing a lot of progress in the background. This is not something which is on the front pages. It's not all about Ronaldo going to a Saudi club, Lionel Messi being the ambassador for Saudi tourism, or buying Newcastle and perhaps other clubs as well. It's also in the background talking to the people who matter, the people who will tick the boxes when the time comes to choose the host of the 2030 World Cup. Well, this is the and, blatter trick, isn't this, of uh, how they get hey, the power. You go after the countries that have been ignored by by the West, yes. by the Western media, by Western football, and you go and you offer them what they need and you get their back in and you get the World Cup. The fact yeah, that they've got, uh, that the fact that they've got, uh, it looks like potentially the African votes and that Morocco are in uh, with huh. Spain and Portugal. Yeah. How does that work? That, that, is a poss- that possibly is the one thing that might create a problem. Morocco is very, very influential within uh, African Confederation, CAF. Um, but on the other hand, they cannot be acting completely alone. If there is a, a swell uh, of support for Saudi Arabia uh, within Africa, um, the, the Moroccans might use that as leverage, uh, shall we say, to, to get something else. Uh, that, because it's all about, the choice won't be about where would it be the best? Where would be the play, best place to have the World Cup? It's not going to be about that. It's going to be about politics. So we all know that. Um, and the fact, for example, that it's uh, the organ- co- they would co-organize this with Egypt and Greece is because it's coming too soon after Qatar. You know, they've got the principle of rotation of confederation. You cannot have the tournament in the same confederation too often. So uh, you associate yourself with Egypt, which is Africa, and with Greece, which is Europe. So you're saying, well, we are a multi-continental, you know, it, you know, bid. So it doesn't really matter that Qatar had it in 2022. Forget about that. So the, the, the Moroccans could actually be um, create a little bit of a problem, and certainly some. Uh, but again, you shouldn't think that the Moroccans, who are so powerful in CAF, are necessarily as popular as they are with other African nations. So it might cost a few votes here, a few votes there. But at the moment, they look like they are on the way to secure solid support in Asia and solid support uh, in Africa. And there's still plenty of uh, people to convince elsewhere on, on the planet. And uh, I wouldn't certainly, I was going to say I wouldn't bet against them. Maybe I shouldn't use that word after what we've been talking about. But I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if they got there in the end in 2030. 
yeah I don't think any of us would be somehow uh, Newcastle have beaten Brighton by four goals to one there's a lot going on in the Europa League and the Conference League where you want to go now Philippe is the League One yes. playoffs League One playoffs yes. so Sheffield go Wednesday on. were beaten 4-0 by Peterborough in the first leg they are 3-0 up with 15 minutes to go in the second leg <laughs> so that is where it is at all right. Goodbye. <laughs> We're going to let this you go. Is where I'm going. Great stuff as always, Philippe. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Great stuff as always from Philippe Clare. We'll talk to Javanna Hearn in a minute just to let you know. Still scoreless between West Ham and AZ Alkmaar. So West Ham, 2 1 up in aggregate, 10 minutes away from a place in a European final. Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.